Hello and welcome to a sassy little podcast for getting over it. I'm your host, Sandra Ann Miller. Today we're talking about getting the F over ableism because we are all guilty of it and we need to be more aware. Our guest is a disability advocate and educator and the coordinator of the Disability Cultural Center at the University of Arizona. She did a powerful TEDx when she was a student at UC Irvine, sharing her experience as a disabled first-generation Latina, going through the college experience, and the hindrances of ableism. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nati Rico. Hello, Nati. Hi, Sandra. How are you? Well, I want to apologize to you and the listeners because I'm having a little bit of an allergy attack, so I sound just a little bit congested, and I apologize for that. No worries. I'm just glad that you're here and thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for coming because this is such an important subject. And I think we're just now becoming aware of it. Ableism seems to be a new term we've been introduced to. And when I say we, I'm going to refer to able bodied folks. And I don't know that we fully understand it. But if we look it up in the dictionary, the definition is discrimination or prejudice against individuals with disabilities. And I think anyone would say, I'm not ableist. I don't have an ableist bone in my body. But if we look at how the world is created by and for able-bodied people, we should start to see how limiting that is for anyone with a disability and realize that, yes, we are complicit in ableism because we haven't been aware of or thought about how basic things in society are structured to create obstacles and limitations and isolate people with disabilities. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, And, you know, here at the Disability Cultural Center at the U of A, we tend to do our Ableism 101 series every semester where Mm -hmm. we come together and host workshops on the basics of ableism, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that you say like it's a new concept, but I think once we really try to dissect what ableism really is, people realize that it's actually something that really, unless like you yourself are disabled, you kind of don't become aware of it. Right. Um, so people don't like once we start talking about like examples of how ableism manifests, people realize, actually, I do know what you're talking about. You know, we just never had a, a word for it or something to describe what this thing was. Um, and so I always find that interesting. Um, but nonetheless, you know, um, with those workshops that we give, um, there is a few definitions that we use. So I'm going to just go ahead and read out some of those definitions that we use. Yeah. And so one of them is that ableism is defined as a system of oppression that favors being able-bodied or able-minded at any cost and frequently at the expense of people with disabilities. So this definition was created by Stacey Milburn, who was a disability rights activists um, Mm -hmm. and did a lot of work with disability justice as well. Um, And so I like this definition because it calls out ableism as a system of oppression, right? Right. Um, And it's specifically saying that it favors being able-bodied and able-minded, and it's at the expense of people with disabilities. Another one that I use, um, which I think is a little more detailed, but it really goes into 
ableism as a, a system of oppression mm-hmm. um, is a system that places value on people's bodies and minds based on societally constructed ideas of normalcy, intelligence, excellence, desirability, and productivity. These constructed ideas are deeply rooted in anti-Blackness, eugenics, misogyny, colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism. And so this definition was created by Talila Tia Lewis, along with other disabled Black and other negatively racialized people, especially Dustin Gibson. And this definition is constantly being updated. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally like using this definition because it really shows how ableism is interconnected with other forms of oppressions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about, you know, anti-Blackness, eugenics, misogyny, capitalism. And so I think it really, it really ties anti, um, sorry, ableism into what these systems of oppression are. Right. And so it just, I know it sounds very complex, but once we start to break it down, we start to kind of connect the dots in terms of how ableism is really actually connected to all these other systems of oppression. Yes. And I, I think it really stems from the most part for, from a lack of awareness, I, I mean, in day-to-day life. And when I listen to your, your TEDx, that disability isn't on a college application, you know, just simple things that, that are identifiers. Whereas for my generation, Generation X, we wanted to erase all differences, thinking like that was the smart thing to do or the progressive thing to do or, or the egalitarian thing to do. And, and really, it's not. It's really much more oppressive than it is progressive because you are erasing or ignoring those needs. Yeah, I think it definitely comes from the mindset that folks, that I've heard a lot of folks talk about in terms of like, you know, we don't want any labels or don't mm-hmm. label us and whatnot. And I get it. But I think when, when I hear that, it's really hard for me not to label things when we are treated certain ways. Right. We are treated, we are actually indeed treated differently. We are oppressed. And so I think by saying, you know, don't label me, it's kind of saying, you know, I, it's, it, it's kind of like the saying of, I don't see disability or I don't see you as disabled. And it goes back to your point saying, you know, like, well, we don't want to highlight these differences. We actually want to be normal. We want, um, but the reality is, and I'm speaking from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm not normal, quote unquote, and that's not something that I aim to be because what is normal anyways? Right. Um, But second of all, you know, like society doesn't treat me as such. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many barriers that I've had to overcome, if you will, for me to essentially just exist in this world. And that's the reality for so many other folks. I can't afford to just not be labeled, right? right? To not be labeled is to ignore who I am in my existence. And yes. so that's, I think, a little bit more of what I've learned since I've given my TED Talk. Um, I know that was, I gave that TED Talk during my undergraduate experience. And so there's a lot more that I've learned since then. 
terminology that's that's a little different now, but I think I enjoy reflecting on my growth as an individual and really what I've learned regarding ableism, because even though I'm disabled myself, I still don't know everything about ableism. There's still things that I'm learning constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's a learning process, even for somebody that experiences ableism in their everyday life. Well, I think we we need to continue to learn and be open and not assume that we understand everything. And I think that's kind of our nature as Americans is we see something that's a quote unquote problem. We want to fix it. Okay. We fixed it. Now we move on. And I think a lot of the attitudes when it comes to disability is, you know, we have a parking space, you have a ramp. What else do you need? The problem isn't solved because the problem isn't one necessarily a problem. And two, it's, it's so nuanced. Mm -hmm. There are different needs for different people in different communities And everyone needs to be aware of that. And we also have this idea of like majority rule, you know? So if the bulk of society is taken care of, well, then what's the complaint? Because if just one person needs something, well, geez, that's an inconvenience. And to me, that's the irritation. Whoever needs whatever they need, get it done. And it shouldn't be a bunch of red tape. It shouldn't be this huge thought process solve the problem. What does this person need? Get that need met. And we are in the year 2021. It should be relatively simple to accommodate because we have technology, we have resources, and it shouldn't be a burden on the person with a disability to have the access they need. And when they run into a problem and they address that problem, it shouldn't fall upon, again, red tape and questions as to why this should be done and all of that, that to me is, is sort of the irritation and not constantly looking at our community as a whole. And I go back to when I spoke with Selene Luna and we were talking about disability and difference, the light bulb that went off for me when I saw the homeless encampments on sidewalks. And it finally occurred to me that, well, people in wheelchairs and with, with physical disabilities or vision impairments or whatever, need that sidewalk. They need that access point, you know, coming to and, and from the bus. And so we're solving one problem with people who are unhoused, but we're creating another problem for people with disability. And how, how, how does a city council in Los Angeles not put two and two together in that way? And, and as a citizen, how many times did I drive by that before I figured it out? You know what I mean? So it's, there are things that we see day to day that we aren't really paying attention to because it may not affect us directly, but it is affecting our neighbors. Yeah, definitely. I think in regards to what you talked about, our need to constantly fix everything, mm-hmm. um, I think it ties very much into the medical model of disability. So the medical model essentially is the way that disability is viewed upon in general in society, Mm -hmm. in mainstream society. So essentially the medical model of disability states that a person with a disability is a problem that needs to be fixed or that, you know, disability itself is something tragic. It's something bad, if you will, that we need exactly or wrong 
that we need to fix. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, it, it's it's not so much medical because it is just um, a mainstream viewpoint of disability. So, you know, the name itself would entail that, you know, it's it's a definition that's used in the medical field, but that's far from true because I think that's the main viewpoint that permeates our society is that disability is wrong and it needs to be fixed. And right. something that a lot of uh, disability justice advocates are advocating for is actually saying, you know, not all of us see the end goal as being a cure. Mm-hmm. Not all of us can be cured. Right. And so, you know, if, if we cannot be cured, that doesn't mean we are disposable, right? Mm-hmm. Like we still deserve rights. We still deserve to be treated with respect and with dignity in mm-hmm. our society. And so I guess as a way to rebuttal the medical model of disability, if you will, we have the social model of disability as well, which states that people are more disabled by society or by the way society was built Mm -hmm. than by their own impairment. Right. And so with that, it's putting more of the responsibility on the fact that society was not built for us um, on the fact that, you know, the way that not only our physical structures, but even in the ways that we design programs and the ways that we design our day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. are exclusive to disabled people. And so with that, it's, it's the social model is serves as a little bit of a rebuttal to the medical model. Mm -hmm. But even then, it's important to think critically of the social model as well, because there are some advocates that have said, that, you know, there are folks who, especially folks with like chronic illnesses and whatnot, they actually do agree that, you know, because they experience so much pain, mm-hmm. they do want to uh, be cured. And they do, they would like to not have that kind of disability or that kind of chronic illness. And so to that, I say that it's important for us to be mindful of both of these models and how they talk about disabled people. Mm -hmm. But I would say in terms of like the medical model, because it does state that disability is a problem, it's tragic and it's wrong. I would say, you know, being mindful that we should, instead of thinking of disability as something that's bad and wrong, just seeing it as another way of being. Mm-hmm. And that this is a way that we are trying to, I guess, I wouldn't say fix or cure, but more so, you know, being able to manage, if you will, mm-hmm. a disability so that folks don't experience like pain and whatnot. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's just these are like the two main uh, models of disability that are used within like disability studies and whatnot to really look at and analyze disability and how it's perceived in society. Mm-hmm. Um, there's issues with both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for a long time, the social model of disability is what was known to be the more progressive idea of how we should view disabilities. And personally, I like that the social model really holds society itself responsible for the mm-hmm. way we're treated. And it's more, I think it helps society understand a little e- a little bit easier how it is that 
it is creating barriers for us. Right. Um, and so for me personally, the social model of disability helps us move forward and eliminate some of those barriers. Well, and I think that we need to also understand the financial barriers of having disability, how expensive it is to be disabled, that there are laws that allow states to pay people who are disabled less than minimum wage, and the marriage inequality of people who are disabled. Because if they marry and their spouse makes a a wage at poverty level, the disabled spouse loses all of their benefits. And to me, that's just, that's crazy. It's very American, but it's just crazy that we're so worried about somebody profiting (laughs) off of a disability, not understanding. No, it is so expensive to be disabled or to be chronically ill in any way. What you need to modify a home or a vehicle or to make your mobility easier or less painful, all of that is expensive. And if you are making less money, get your benefits taken away because you got married and you're still having to deal with all these issues, it's also forcing a lot of the disabled into poverty, furthering the oppression. Yeah, I think that's exactly how ableism specifically, institutional ableism, really connects with capitalism, as you were saying. Um, And we see this within the medical and the healthcare system. Like you were saying, there's this lack of affordable healthcare um, or universal healthcare for all. Um, And a lot of the a lot of what people say is, you know, it, it does cost a lot to be disabled. There are all these additional costs that we have, whether that's medication, whether that's additional like mobility devices, or even ways to adapt our home, adapt our transportation and whatnot. It is very expensive. Um, and I've heard the reason why, you know, insurance don't typically cover many Many of these things is because, you know, it costs too much to be disabled. It's all these expenses that, you know, if insurance covers, it's not going to work out. And But it's exactly what you were saying, how, you know, we're willing to, I guess, the word, it, like if I use the word dispose of, I know it's kind of harsh, but essentially it's what's happening. You know, mm-hmm. when we're not providing health care for folks and there are folks who cannot pay for their medication, what's going to happen to them. And unfortunately, you know, people have died because they weren't able to access their medication or they weren't able to survive uh, because they weren't able to, you know, adapt their homes or their monthly social security benefits weren't enough. And so this is how it's really tied. Ableism really ties into capitalism, Mm -hmm. how we have to profit, you know, as a society, from anywhere that we can. And therefore it's deliberately excluding people with disabilities. And it's not only excluding us, but it's kind of eugenicist if you think about it. And that's how eugenics um, also ties into ableism and how, and capitalism and how, you know, if we have folks that can't survive under capitalism, then it's killing off disabled people who can't afford Mm -hmm. to be here. And I think it's, it's, it's an evil system. I agree. And 
it's putting a lot of folks in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about homelessness earlier. And the fact of the matter is that there are the majority of the homeless population, they are actually disabled as Absolutely. well. So I would say, you know, these are probably folks that have been a victim of capitalism um, who, you know, either were disabled before or became disabled because mm-hmm. of homelessness. And so the issue in itself would be, you know, if, if we were to, let's say, get rid of capitalism, if you will, and some people will say that this is a radical idea. But, you right. know, if we take a moment to just kind of imagine what our society would look like if everybody had their needs met, mm-hmm. then would homelessness be an issue, right? No. And it wouldn't. And it would also solve what you were talking about earlier with the access barrier of having the tents being taking up the sidewalk and whatnot. If homelessness wasn't an issue, then that wouldn't be an issue either. So in a way, I think really getting at the root of what these problems are Mm -hmm. and just thinking about, you know, these systems of oppression that are put in place, that if we were to just get rid of them and even take a moment to imagine what a world would look like without these systems of oppression, I would say that it would probably solve a lot of these issues in our society. But, you know, because of politics and because, because you know, I guess our government is also trying really hard to not rid of capitalism because a lot of folks are benefiting from it. No, a few folks are benefiting from it. <laughs> That's true. Yes, a few folks are benefiting from it. You're right. It's just like a hard concept to even sit down and imagine because then you're told, you know, you're being too radical. Well, you're talking about socialism and that's like, you know, that makes the blood curdle of America, you know, and, and what we fail to remember or even realize is that disability can happen to anyone at any time. Mm -hmm. You are, you know, just because you might've escaped the womb quote unquote, normal, that doesn't mean something won't happen. That whether it's a chronic illness, a stroke, an accident, Mm -hmm. some other fluke, any one of us can become disabled at at any time. So we're not immune from it. And it makes sense to take care of each other. And I still don't understand why the society has a problem with that. You know, we already have socialism in that I can pick up the phone and call the fire department or the police department, an ambulance, say I need help, and someone shows up at my door. You know, and we educate our children for free. That's what our tax dollars are for. We now have billionaires that are running off to space because they don't pay their taxes. So they're not contributing to society. They're just off having fun with their toys. That's marvelous. But it's not fair. It's not fair that you and I are paying more taxes than Bezos, my personal nemesis. And if we started contributing equally and supporting each other, no one is going to lose. If everyone is taken care of, society benefits as a whole, just like you were saying. This isn't like somebody's, everybody's, I'm not saying everybody, there's a strong side of America that worries about somebody getting something for free. And who cares? You know, if there are a few people that rip off the system, who cares? Because it's much more important to take care of people who need that support. And when you go out and you meet homeless people, 
a strong majority of them are veterans. What are our veterans doing unhoused? They serve this country. We have the VA. What the hell is going on? So we aren't doing our jobs as Americans, in my opinion, on any level if we're not taking care of everybody. And I think that's what we need to start embracing and stop labeling as socialist, as communist, as whatever, and just see it as love for your fellow American. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I just don't understand why taking care of each other is just this bizarre concept and making sure everyone's needs are met. Because one day it might be you who can't access a building because you're in a wheelchair, because something happened that was unexpected. Have that kind of empathy and compassion, maybe even forethought to say, hey, I would want to be protected. I would want to be taken care of. So let's protect and take care of the people who need it. Definitely. I think this is where systems of like colonialism also pop up with ableism. I just think about indigenous folks and Mm -hmm. I think about personally also like my communities and when I go to Mexico and visit my family, how we all take care of each other Mm -hmm. and we take care of our neighbors and we look out for one another, not expecting anything in return. Right. And so when you're telling me, you know, that there are folks that are scared somebody's going to get something for free, you know, and when I think about my culture and think about my community and my family back in Mexico, we don't think about it like that. We just want to make sure that we are taking care of each other. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that each one of us has what we need to live and to thrive. And if somebody doesn't, we will all come together as a community to help in any way that we can. Right. Mind you, even if we ourselves have little money or little resources, we will find a way to come together to support one another. And so I think, you know, the issue with society in the U.S. is that we're also very individualistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everybody for themselves, pick yourself up from the bootstrap mentality, like, and it's very competitive as well. Yes. And I think that's also a result of capitalism, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, just how all of these things are interconnected. But I think because of that, everybody just kind of wants to make sure that they're them that they themselves are doing okay, that they themselves are thriving and you know, ignoring the needs of others. Right. Um, and so when you're saying, you know, there's a possibility that everybody else can become disabled because yes, it's, it's, it's disability can happen to anybody, but it also happens differently to everybody. So the more resources that you have, the less barriers you're likely to encounter. Um, And so again, I think that still leaves behind a lot of disabled folks who are impoverished, who don't have those resources. So I think, you know, even if people were to think like, you know, that could happen to me. Like, I'm thinking, let's say Bezos was like, you know, like, actually, you know, I'm scared because I could become disabled. He has all of the resources in this world for him not to have any barriers, if you will. His yacht has a support yacht. Exactly. Right. So yes, his body will have that impairment. 
But how disabling will his world really be if he can just buy accessibility? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, I think it's a responsibility of society as a whole to look out for one another, to care for one another. And I don't know if that can happen under capitalism. I don't know if that can happen under colonialism, if you will. It's hard for me to imagine what that would look like under these systems that are actively oppressing us at this moment. Well, to me, I think it, you know, we're very worried about equality, not in the good sense, but I want to make sure I get mine. So I want to make sure that no one gets more than me kind of thing. That's what I mean by that equality. Um, and again, I'm a little bit stoned on Benadryl. So if I'm not making sense, I apologize. But to me, a flat tax makes sense. I've mentioned this before, like from working in Hollywood, you know, you have your agent, you have your manager, you pay them a flat percentage for what they do. And you have a publicist and attorney, you pay them a percentage of everything you make. So, you know, it can add up. But if we all paid an equal percentage, whether we made $1 or a billion dollars, that's equal. The money amount may not be, but the percentage is equal. And if we're all contributing equally to our society, both state and federal, again, if we're all contributing equally, we would have the resources for that. But when you have billionaires and millionaires paying less than a working stiff like me, that is not equal. They are not contributing to the society that they are reaping the benefits from. And so that's the bad part of capitalism. I don't know that America can ever change that much. We're, we're headed kind of totally in the wrong direction. And we really have to pay attention to what's going to happen next year in 2022 because voting rights and everything else, there, there's a huge attempt to really kind of, I'll just say it, destroy our democracy, not even erode it, just blow it up. So we need to pay attention. We need to vote. We need to participate in our society. But a flat tax is equal. Doesn't matter how rich or how poor, you're contributing equally to our society. And if everybody does that, corporations do that, we wouldn't have worries about infrastructure. We wouldn't have worries about education. We wouldn't have worries about healthcare. We wouldn't have worries about access because we would all be feeding in to society and making it better. I mean, I'll ask you because maybe you know, but when you look at kind of what we view as socialist societies, whether they actually fall into that definition or not. If you look at places like Denmark, where they pay a huge amount of taxes, but everybody's happy and everybody's taken care of. You know, is there a country that's doing better by its disabled? Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because this isn't to say that, you know, let's say we did live in this socialist utopia <laughs> that all of the issues will disappear and you know, it's, it's this utopia per se, right? There are still issues that disabled people will encounter mm -hmm. and will continue to encounter, even if let's say everything was accounted for. Um, because I think this goes to attitudes as well. It goes into just what we think about other disabled people, if you will. Mm -hmm. And this goes more into like interpersonal ableism and and how we think about others. Um, and so when, when you grow up in a society that constantly 
invisibilizes disabled folks, that puts disabled folks down and oppresses folks. Like, Mm -hmm. even if we didn't have any of the barriers in the world, even if all of our needs were being met, if people's attitudes on disability are negative, then how much progress is it really? Right. Right. So if you're thinking this, that people with disabilities don't deserve their rights, or let's say if we were to like think that disabled people are getting special treatments, which is actually, you know, a lot of people think that way. A lot of people think that disabled people have get special treatments and special privileges and whatnot, um, which is actually very wrong. Right. Um, people think that things like parking, you know, are special privileges that we get when in reality, that parking is something bare minimum that we get because the structure wasn't built to accommodate or to be inclusive of us. Right. And then somebody with knee surgery gets a temporary one that they then extend. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's just a common misconception. And so, you know, like, yeah, let's say there were no barriers, but if people still had these negative perceptions of disability and, and of disabled people and who we are, and you know, I think that we would, that in itself would still be an issue that we need to address. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes ableism very complex where it's like from the financial aspect, if we could eliminate all of the barriers, if we could recreate all of our infrastructure I think there will still be ableism that exists. And mind you, it might be less, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are those aspects that I think we would still need to address. And so, you know, it's just very, it's very complex. Like, I can't sit here and be like, this is what we need to do to eliminate ableism. You know, like, it's a lot more nuance and, and a lot, there's a lot more to consider. Sure. In that realm and so you know these are I'm just kind of piecing it together and trying to make sense of all of these pieces well and I think people haven't been I'm going to say exposed to people with disability if you've never had a friend that's been in a wheelchair or has a hearing impairment or or visual impairment or down syndrome or if, if you if you aren't around people who are I'm going to say different than you then a bias is really easy to have. But once you expand your world and introduce yourself to people who are unlike you, you have a better understanding. And I think that's where some of the bias and misunderstanding comes from is not being exposed to or involved with people with disabilities and understanding how they're all different and understanding how that disability affects that person. And I think even if you were just to watch the film Sound of Metal, which was an Oscar contender last year, and if you haven't seen it, it's about a drummer who's losing his hearing and being involved in deaf culture, but wanting to go back to normal and considering a cochlear implant and how the deaf community feels about that. And so you're exposing yourself to another world just by watching a movie and having a deeper understanding. Sometimes that's what it takes is to just open your minds a little bit. And if you don't have people in your life with disabilities, figure out a way to learn more 
Crip Camp is another great documentary about a disabled community in the 70s, actual camp. And these people became advocates and are just, it's just an extraordinary story. Again, up for an Oscar. And I think the Obamas produced it. But it's, it's a great movie. So you can expose yourself to what it's like to live as a disabled person in America by Netflix. Part of our responsibility is to educate ourselves about things we don't understand. You can broaden your world by sitting on your couch sometimes. And I hope that more people do that. So you have a better understanding and aren't expecting other people to just bring the knowledge to you. We need to understand that everybody's just living their lives. And sometimes that's harder. And sometimes it's more expensive. And sometimes it's, it's filled with many more barriers for other people. So if you kind of have it easy and everybody's life is hard to a degree except Bezos's, have some empathy. Put yourself in their position and understand what it might be like to not easily be able to park your car or walk through a door or reach up to a shelf. This world is created for typical people. And if you're not under that typical umbrella, everyday things become much more of a challenge. If you rent an apartment, your sink is built for a standard height. If you're in a wheelchair, brushing your teeth isn't going to be that easy. Yeah, exactly. I definitely think that we need more of that visibility Mm -hmm. of disabled people in our society. We're slowly starting to see that, as you've mentioned, with like, in the media, with films on Netflix and whatnot. And we're slowly starting to see that. Mind you, it's 2021, so I think it's long overdue. Well, long overdue. Yeah. Uh, We're slowly starting to see that. I think it goes back to disability also being thought of as taboo. Mm -hmm. And I think it also makes people really uncomfortable to talk about from what I've seen from experience, you know, being a child, when I was a child, being a disabled child, I would often get told, you know, by classmates um, that people often felt sorry for me Mm. um, because of my disability. And it's like, for me, that was always something that was hard to grasp because it's like, you know, what are you sorry for? Like, I mean, first of all, I'm a child, I don't understand oppression, but (laughs) Second of all, like I I considered my childhood to be a happy one, Mm -hmm. you know, like even though I was disabled and there were a lot of barriers and a lot of things that I couldn't physically do, I had classmates and I had friends who didn't think it was a big deal and who were very open to playing with me, to being with me and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Like that was never an issue for me, but I think from the outside or folks that just don't have interactions or any type of engagement with disabled folks, it's, it does make people uncomfortable to think Mm -hmm. like, how can somebody like yourself be not only experiencing physical pain, which I think is also another big misconception that folks think that if you have a physical disability, you're always in pain. Right. I know that's something that, you know, I get asked all the time, like, like, are you in pain? Or somebody will come up to me with unsolicited advice, like, oh, have you tried this? Or I have this thing, this CBD oil that works magic. And I'm like, you know, I'm not in pain, right? That's besides the point, you know, there's all these common misconceptions on what it is to be disabled. 
And um, I was also going to tie that into why we have these biases and misconceptions. Mm-hmm. I think religion also plays a big part of that. Sure. Um, in that, because Christianity, if I'm being specific, we have what's called the moral model of disability as well, that views disability as a punishment from God that, you know, God has punished this person because of sins mm-hmm. that their family has committed or even that person themselves has committed. So I think that's another reason why we view disability as taboo. Another reason why folks, you know, have these biases that disabled people are less than or, you know, specifically try to ignore us and invisibilize us. Mm -hmm. I think Christianity plays a big role in that as well, um, how we perceived disability. Um, And so just given that, I think there's a lot of reasons why disabled people are being excluded in society. A lot of reasons why we're not being treated with dignity and respect. I want to say religion is one of those reasons, but also that lack of exposure to disabled people. I think we were having a discussion at the Disability Cultural Center earlier this uh, past semester where we were discussing visibility in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So going back to the media and, you know, we're slowly starting to see more shows pop up that either address disability or have a disabled character. Mm -hmm. Um, But we still don't see a lot of disabled children in the media. Right. And or children's shows or things aimed for children to watch about disability. Mm -hmm. We don't see very many, very much of that. Um, still. And so if we start to get children also more engaged with disability, I think that would help a lot. Um, As a disabled adult now, I've gone through like a lot of mobility devices. So I've used wheelchairs, I've used crutches, and I'm currently, I use a walker right now. Anytime I'm out and about, I always get stares from Mm -hmm. children. more. Like before it used to be a lot more like adults would also stare. I don't know if it's because of where I live now and just the environment that I'm in. I don't get a lot of stares from, let's say, adults anymore. I notice it more from children now. And then, and I think it's because children haven't had that exposure right. to disabled people. Like you were saying, you know, children might not have friends that have disabilities. And the education system also kind of plays a part in that where it segregates disabled children from their peers. So I would say education very much plays a role in that. But, you know, that's just to say, you know, in the media, the least we could do is also bring more representation of disabled people in media that garners more to children. Because, you know, I often feel like I'm like I'm an like I'm an exhibit and children are just kind of looking at me and curious, like, right who is she or like, why is she using? And, and I've heard children mumble, you know, like, mom, why does she use that? Or mom, what is that? Or why is she like that? I've had Mm -hmm. children come up to me and ask me and, you know, I don't get offended because, well, I, I like children first of all, but I know, I know where that comes from. I'm, I, I have that education to know, you know, that children are not exposed to people with disabilities. And if, you know, they've never seen a disabled person and all of a sudden, you know, they see somebody in a wheelchair or they see somebody using 
a walker. They're wondering what's going on, what's happening. They're trying to make sense of it. And so I think the earlier we can start getting people exposed to disability, I think that would really help and that would really change the viewpoints of disability as well. I agree. And I think one other thing that we should probably dispel of is being perpetually inspired by people with disability. That's also, I think, the media plays a huge role in that trope as well. Yes. Um, And I think that's very objectifying. So I talked about, you know, feeling like an exhibit at times when Mm -hmm. I get people staring. Um, I think another way I feel objectified is when folks just constantly think of me as inspirational. And I would say that's another aspect that I dealt with during childhood, that folks were just kind of amazed that I was in the regular classes with everybody else. I would get it from, I would get comments from my teachers. I would get comments from like, like I would be a lesson. I would be a lesson to students. Like I remember I had a teacher who was telling the class that, you know, him and his kids were talking about me. They were saying like, oh, when, when Nati falls, what does she do? And the teacher just said, you know, she gets right back up just like, you know, and keeps going. And it's like, I kind of felt a little awkward at the time because it's like, why am Like I I couldn't make sense of it. I was a child. But now when I look back, it's like, like I was being used as a lesson to the rest of the Mm. class when in reality, like, that's just my life. Like, yeah, I fall. But it's like, what else am I going to do? Am I really just going to lay there for the rest of my life? Like, (laughs) you know, like, so to me, the concept of like being inspired by me is kind of absurd. I'm just like, a lot of the time, I just feel like I'm a potato just trying to survive, you know, (laughs) like there's nothing special to me. Like, yes, I've gone through all of these barriers and in the, like these barriers shouldn't exist in the first place. Like let's address that. Right. Right. It's not that, you know, like it's not me being inspirational. It's just me literally just trying to live my life and survive. I don't think that merits a lesson to everybody. Well, I think we need to kind of delineate between you know, it's so inspiring to, that's just fucking impressive. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. And Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, I I mentioned to you that I was catching a bit of news and they were talking about a Paralympic athlete who's blind and a swimmer and how her dog helps her train. And, you know, this really feel good story. And, you know, she's up every morning swimming. And of course the newscaster then says, so inspiring. And I'm like, it's not inspiring. It's fucking impressive. It's fucking impressive that anybody gets up, you know, the crack of dawn and goes and out and does what they love, which is hard and challenging and are really good at it because they've been dedicated. That's impressive. Get inspiration from Oprah. But I think what people don't understand is it comes off as demeaning. Am I right about that? I don't Uh want to be assumptive. But from what other friends have told me, it's it's very demeaning because you're coming from a place of oh, didn't think I didn't think you had it in you almost uh, you know what I mean yeah it's these like low expectations that folks have of disabled folks where it's like wow you were able to get up today and go outside like some people have thanked me for being somewhere like <laughs> I'm trying to think like an example I'm trying to remember Oh, I was at a party, I think. Mm -hmm. This was like a family party. And somebody came up to me and was like, thank you for being here. Like, and 
it wasn't like, you know, like thanking their guests. It, it was just kind of like, thank you for being here. Like some, I know it gets hard sometimes, but it's like, I knew they were, they were thanking me because I'm disabled and I decided to show up and I, right. you know, like, because a lot of folks I've noticed, especially like in my culture, disabled people are hidden, mm. disabled people are out of sight. Um, and so that's why when you're out in public, it's kind of like this big deal, like, whoa, like you're out, like that's inspiring, like, thank you. And, and so that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, essentially, it's just these very low expectations or these expectations that you need to be hidden. And so when you're not, when you're doing the opposite of what people think you should be doing, then all of a sudden it becomes inspiring. So I think that just ties into the bias that people have and to the misconceptions that people have of disability. Right. You're just another human doing your thing. Yeah. And I, I think also like, like when we're talking about Paralympians, like I think, like you said, that's impressive. And there are things that people can feel inspired by, mm-hmm. but I don't think people should be inspired just because a disabled person exists. Right. right. Or when we look in the media, when, when I teach about ableism, sometimes I'll show photos of like um, newscasts and, and like, yeah, newscasts, how they tend to show all these inspirational stories and it's of people like just doing basic things. Like, you know, there's a wheelchair user who gets asked to prom and it's like, that's an inspiration. That's an inspiring story to tell. And it's like, that shouldn't be inspiring, you know, disabled people date, disabled right. people go to prom, like, they get married, not, they have babies, exactly. yeah. they have sex, like, exactly. that's not something that we should be inspired by, you know, like, these are just normal things that wouldn't be inspiring if you were talking about an able-bodied person. Exactly. And that, and that's what I mean by if you don't know, expose yourself to it. And if it's not in your community, educate yourself elsewhere. And there are, I I was a film major, so I always revert to film. There are many amazing documentaries out there. And again, it's not to be inspired. It's to see that they're just living life. Mm -hmm. They're just doing their thing. And yeah, it's really hard sometimes because our society doesn't make it easy. Our world isn't built for anybody who isn't able-bodied or a certain height or anything like that. That is the challenge. And we as a society can make things a little bit better by listening, by making sure things are accessible to everyone. And even if it is just one person in your community that has that need, meet it. That is your job as a human. Just do it. And don't be inspired by it and don't pat yourself on the back for it. Just do it. Yeah, I think to that, I would say instead of even feeling inspired, I would say maybe try to feel angry mm-hmm. instead of pity as well. Instead of being pity, instead of feeling pity or in, and instead of feeling inspired, I would challenge folks to feel angry that disabled folks have had to endure all that they have just mm-hmm. to get to that point in their lives. Because I think, you know, if we reframe it and view it from a place of like anger, mm-hmm. I think anger can be actionable at times. Anger I is think, an energy. Yeah, exactly. And because and I, I think, like you said, you know, if, if people feel inspired, they pat themselves on the back and be like, well, maybe my life isn't that bad after all. Whereas instead, you know, if you think, if you get angry about it, if you think actually, you know, I have, 
all these privileges that others mm-hmm. don't, what can I do about that? Or how can we, how can I use my privilege to educate or to make society better? Well, and here's the thing that drives me nuts. And I've mentioned it before. Every time I see a dog in a grocery store, I get incensed. One, because I'm allergic. Two, because when I was a little girl, blind people had to fight and fight and fight to get their trained seeing eye dogs into a store. And that was a huge battle. And now all these little teeny tiny dogs on a leash are running around Whole Foods. And that's great. You know, I get it. You love your dog. But that to me is ableism. A person with a disability had to fight for their right to allow their true service animal into a store. And now everybody gets to benefit from that, forgetting where it started and having very little respect for that hard-fought battle. And the same thing with getting service animals on planes. It just took one pig with a bowel problem to ruin that for everybody. Because again, that to me is ableist. You are taking advantage of a need, a true need for people who have vision impairments or severe PTSD or are in wheelchairs and need their service dog. And that to me is unbelievably selfish and arrogant and wrong because you're taking advantage again of something that was hard fought for, for a true purpose. And that's stuff that we do. Same thing with disabled parking, you know, taking advantage of it. If you get knee surgery and you can eke it out for another year or so, just because you want to park closer to the store, it's just ableist and arrogant and wrong in my opinion. Yeah. And that's why I talk about anger being more productive, if you will, (laughs) because when you think about it in that way as well, it's like, you know, like if folks just think about it as inspiration, as inspiring, it kind of ends at that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you're talking about anger and you're getting angry at, you know, people who at times, you know, take advantage of accommodations and services that were put in place for people with disabilities, you know, there's more, I think that anger would lead you to do something more or Mm -hmm. not, or not be that person that is parked in a disabled parking spot, knowing, you know, that you're not supposed to be there. Right. I'm I'm the kind of mouthy broad that mentions it. (laughs) Yeah. And so honestly, I can be here all day talking about Mm -hmm ableism and barriers and just, you know, everything that all the changes that I feel we should make as a society to build a more inclusive and more understanding world um, for disability. But nonetheless, you know, I just wanted to talk about briefly uh, about ableism and how it's interconnected with all these other systems and Mm -hmm. how, you know, that creates barriers, but how that also, that also influences biases and attitudes and behaviors as well. Hopefully your listeners have, will have the opportunity to grasp a little better these concepts. Um, Even if it was just for this conversation for about an hour, like there's a whole field dedicated to these issues. Disability studies really is like a whole field that 
is tasked with studying these issues and mm-hmm. whatnot. So, you know, people get degrees in this, you know, it's not right. just something that I can talk about in an hour, but, you know, it's good to get this intro and, and, and it's good to get people thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, that how, how society still has so much work to do. We do. We really do. Disabled people. Well, Nati, thank you so much for having this conversation. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoy having having these conversations. I think a lot of the time I focus on doing like formal presentations and whatnot. But I like having, I like talking about this as if we're conversing. I think it's really helpful to think about and grasp these concepts as well. Absolutely. Thank you again. You can find Nati on the university website at drc.arizona.edu slash cultural dash center and on LinkedIn at disabled, but that's spelled D-I-S-A-B-O-L-D. And I love that. Thank you so much for listening and being a sassy supporter of this podcast. You totally rule and I am completely grateful. Until next time, take care.